0: Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. My, my goal is to be done a little bit early tonight. We'll see if that happens. That's the, uh, that's the uh, attempt here. Acts chapter 4, and let's look at verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people, and preaching through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them, and put them in hold until the next day. For it was now eventide, howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. Five thousand. The title of the message tonight is a very simple title. It's this, Peter and John Arrested. Peter and John Arrested. Let's pray. God, I thank you for tonight. I pray that as we look at this passage and this truth, that you would help us to just glean some things from this story. We're going to look at several different angles of the story, several different truths within the story. And so, Lord, you... Taylor make the sermon to each individual, and Lord, sometimes the things can be said, uh, something can be said in a sermon that is even a sidebar, and Lord, it uh, touches the heart of a particular individual that needs that. And so, uh, God, you move in my heart to say what needs to be said, and Lord, you uh, sit within the ears and the hearts of the listeners, and I pray, Lord, that Your Word would move forth, and that hearts would be reached and touched in a special way, in Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. You probably know the account well, but just to set the stage here for the sermon tonight, Paul, rather, I'm sorry, Christ had arisen to heaven and had left his disciples staring up in the sky, watching as he descended up there off the Mount of Olives. And there they are, the ones left behind, and an angel has to come down and look at the disciples and say, Hey, what are you doing? Get busy. Get to work uh he's coming back and you got work to do so you staring into the sky isn't getting the job done get at it so the angel leaves them and they go their way 120 of those folks gather into some sort of an upper room somewhere some sort of a banquet hall type setup and there they fast and they pray i got to believe that during their time in that upper room some wrongs between each other were made right some apologies were given Some misunderstandings were fixed. Some forgiveness was dished out. You say, well, Pastor, where do you get that from? Well, the Bible says that they were all in one accord. One accord. Can I tell you that if you put 120 people together long enough, it's not going to be long before somebody offends someone else. not going to be long. You know why? Because I'm a sinner and so are you. Some of you in this room tonight need to let some things go. Some of you in this room tonight, you need to forgive somebody else. Some of you in this room tonight, you need to apologize for something that you've said and done. Furthermore, I'll say some of you in here tonight, you need to grow a thicker layer of skin. That's because someone doesn't shake your hand or someone sits in your pew or takes your parking spot. Someone looks at you funny or someone's having a bad day and they say something to you that isn't just right. Hey, get over yourself a little bit, will you? Just get over yourself a little bit. There's got to be a little bit of a thick... Skin that it grows on you so that you aren't offended by every little thing that happens. Somewhere along the way, I learned in my Christian life that if someone's lashing out at me, there's probably about a 40% chance that I'm guilty and about a 60% chance that they're just having a rough day. And so I've learned to give people a pass. And I can't say I'm perfect at it, but that's something I work at. Uh, and so if you lash out at me, you know, I'm going to make sure we're okay, but... I'm going to give you a lot of grace. Some people, someone lashes out at you or they say something real nice to you and you're, you're, you're so offended, you'll never really totally forgive. And I'd say, get over yourself. Just get over yourself. These disciples, they got together in that upper room and they were able to patch things up. And what would happen in the chapters to follow would be an explosion of the church onto the scene, into the known world. But that could not happen until the 120 got together and they found that unity, found that harmony. I'm going to comment more on that next week. Next week we're going to conclude our series of the Sins on God's Hate list. We're going to talk about those that sow discord among the brethren. There are some people that make their way now almost every church. They're, they're, uh, they bring baggage with them into the church and then they sow discord and pain and hurt. And they disrupt the unity of the church. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll talk about that more next week. But beyond the getting into one accord, those disciples also spent a lot of time in prayer. In prayer. They prayed for each other. They prayed for the city of Jerusalem. They prayed for the nation of Israel. They prayed the, they, they prayed that God would forgive them of their sins. There was a purification of hearts that went on. And during that um, time of being in one accord and of prayer, the Holy Spirit of God came out of heaven and we entered a new dispensation. You see, before Jesus Christ came, God the Father was the main one that interacted with His people. And then God sent His Son Jesus to interact with the planet, and then after Jesus left, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has come. It was here in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit fell on those disciples, and in a rather unusual way, I'll say, there was a cloven tongue, a fire on their head. That was a one-time thing. Later on in the book of Acts, you see where the Gentiles get their filling of the Holy Spirit. But here it was the Jews' turn, and the Holy Spirit came and entered them. They left there that day, and they went into the city of Jerusalem, which was having their Feast of Pentecost. And Paul and the other disciples, led by Paul, stood and preached. They preached in their known tongue, and the Lord translated his sermon into all kinds of different languages. And there thousands were saved and baptized. We know that three thousand were saved and baptized. We don't know how many total were saved that day. But the three thousand were saved and baptized that day. And the the church the church of Jerusalem, the first church, just exploded onto the scene. You see, um, for a wildfire to happen out in the wilderness, you've got, to have, you've got to have the right elements, right? A drought, a drought, and in that drought you have um, maybe a spark of lightning or maybe someone throws a cigarette or a, a wind catches a, a campfire and blows it, blows it around and, and then it, it grows and it grows. Well, Jerusalem was just right for a spiritual wildfire. They had persecuted Jesus. They had uh, watched him be crucified. This very man who had walked amongst them and healed many of them and had compassion on them. And i got to say that uh, there was a camp of people who stood there and weren't really sure what to think of the whole thing. But when Jesus rose from the dead, and it was witnessed amongst them that he had been seen by over 500, and then he ascended into heaven, boy, there were a whole bunch of people that were just right for the picking, if you will. So, as the message was preached, boy, the, the revival, the spiritual revival uh, exploded onto the scene. And there you had um, just a great uh, 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 harvest of souls that were saved. Harvest of souls that were saved. Acts chapter 3, you find Peter and John. I love the fact, um, talking about that unity. Peter and John were about as opposite of personalities as they come. John was your melancholic, uh, sentimental, head on the chest of Jesus. Uh, the Bible says he was the one whom God loved. That was John's way of referring to himself. And Peter was the uh, whip out the sword and chop someone's ear off, kung fu fighting disciple. Uh, and uh, you got to know that, that Peter probably hurt John's feelings more than once along the way. But Peter and John had uh, gotten to a place where they loved each other as brothers in the Lord. And here they were walking into uh, the temple together to Solomon's porch uh, for some sort of a church service. And in Acts 3, they come across a beggar. And that beggar asks them for money. And there he takes the beggar by the hand, Peter does, and has him stand. He heals him. And God was glorified in that. The, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the elders, boy, they're becoming enraged at what they're seeing. Just enraged at what they're seeing. And they feel like they've got to do something to stop it. Something to stop it. Um, and that's where the persecution of the church comes from. When the church is doing something on such a level that it's just wreaking havoc on everything, and really taking a ground away from Satan, Satan fights back. Satan fights back. We're going to look at Peter and John's arrest tonight. And we're going to pull out four truths from their arrest out of this story that I think we can maybe apply to our lives. Four, I may have more than four here. I didn't write down the number of points I have. Let I me mean, let me just, I don't want to misspeak here. Five points, and then number five will have an A, B, and a C. Let's jump into them here tonight. And talk about this topic of Peter and John's arrest. Number one, let's look at the word persecution. Persecution. Look back with me at Acts chapter 4 and verse number 1. Acts chapter 4 verse number 1. The Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the from the dead. The resurrection from the dead. So Peter and John are preaching the resurrection from the dead. They're preaching Jesus. And uh, verse 2 tells us that the Sadducees and the captain of the temple and the priests, uh, they were grieved. They were grieved that they taught the people and that they preached. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, says, Blessed are ye when men shall uh, revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my uh, for my sake. Matthew 10.22 And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth in the end shall be saved. Romans 8.17 And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ... If so, uh, be that we suffer with Him, suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. 1 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, has these words, But we are despised. We are despised. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, says this, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest, in our mortal flesh. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. A lot of times when the Christians are uh, 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 ridiculed or picked on here in the United States or actually persecuted in some remote instances here in the States but more likely in the Middle East or uh, in, in part, certain parts of Asia when Christians are actually persecuted they might ask the question why am I being persecuted but what the, the, what the question should be asked is this why am I not being persecuted more why am I not being persecuted more Matthew chapter 5 verse 13 says this, listen closely. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost the savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. I heard a preacher one time preach a sermon entitled, Good for Nothing Christians, out of this verse. Good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of man. You know what uh, salt does when it touches an open sore? It stings. There is some complaining that goes on. I knew of a young man who uh, slid into second base. And the young man playing second base was wearing metal cleats, which he was not supposed to be doing. And he slid head first, arms out, and the metal cleat ran right here. Caught him right here on the, you know, where all these important... Blue lines run through your body. Just rip the whole thing open. And uh, being a tough young man, he, he ran over to the bench and had it bandaged up and he stayed in the game. Well, a couple of weeks later, he had red lines running down his arm. And it was time to run to the, the doctor. And so what did the doctor do? Well, several things. But one of the things he did is he pulled back that skin and he dumped Epsom salt into that wound. I'm glad I was not him. He said that um, he said that he was screaming his head off. You know, when Christians are salt to an open wound of sin, the world does not like it. The world does not like it. Hebrews chapter eleven verse twenty-five says this about Moses: it says choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. James chapter 5, verse 10, Take my brethren and the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Now, before I continue on with a point, I want to make sure I say something here that's very important. Christians, you're not to go out of your way looking to be persecuted. You ought not create opportunities to be persecuted. You just live your life like a Christian, and I promise persecution will eventually find you. You don't need to go create persecution in your life. Um, You don't need to go and be a menace and be unkind and nasty. I've uh, I've had people cuss me out at their door. I've had people slam the door in my face. I've had people let their dogs go on me, and I've been going soul winning since I was a little kid. These are things that have only happened to me a few times, and Thousands of doors that I've approached. Thousands of doors I've approached. But I can say this. In all the doors that I've approached, I've never done it in a way that was uh, uh, rude, rudely confrontational. You know, those people had a problem with God, not me. Now, I have run into Muslims, I've run into Jehovah's Witnesses, I've run into Mormons, I've run into Buddhists, I've run into pagans, I've run into all kinds of people, and I'm just giving you the titles that they were self-acclaimed. One lady told me she was a pagan, and she was not very nice to me. Uh, But with most of these folks, I've had good, open dialogue where I represented my Savior well, and if I was persecuted for my faith it was because they already had a great problem with god so while i believe that a christian who is totally sold out to god will at some level be persecuted i don't believe that we need to go around looking to be persecuted i'll give you one example of this Uh, a christian that would go to some sort of a uh, gathering of folks or some sort of parade where uh, clearly people hate christians for instance If uh, the atheists decide to gather in New York City next week, God-hating atheists, and they go there and they decide that uh, they want to protest religion, they want to protest Christianity, if you go, I don't have a problem with that. You go, you need to make sure that you are wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. You need to make sure that you go there and you seek out an individual who's on the fringe and looking for help. But you don't need to go and hold up a big sign and, uh, that is controversial and mean and nasty that's going to draw someone out of the crowd to make a scene out of you. Wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. Christians, some Christians are just looking to be persecuted, just to say they were persecuted. I, I believe that you ought to live your life in a way uh, that is godly, that is salt in a in a uh, in, in a lost world, that is light in a dark world. And if you are light, it's going to bother people without you having to be mean or nasty and kind about it. Now, in this country, we have a heritage of rich heritage of men and women who have been willing to give up their lives and be persecuted so that we can have the right to sit on padded pews, enjoy air conditioning, and pretty chandeliers. Many of us think, I am willing to die for Christ! And I hope you are. Hope you are. story of a little girl who uh, lived in China in a, uh, an adoption mission. It was an underground, undercover thing. And that young lady was uh, uh, there in the home and these militia, Chinese militia, walked in and surrounded the place. They laid a cross down outside of the little mission there. And they said, if you want out alive, you must walk on top of the cross, trample the cross. If you'll do that, we'll let you go free. If you walk around the edge of the cross, then we're going to shoot and kill you. This is a true story. The first seven people that left walked on top of the cross because they were scared to death. A little seven or eight year old girl approached the door and she tiptoed around the cross and around the wall and at the edge of the wall she was lined up and shot. The remainder of those who came in behind her did the same because of her courage. I brought with me tonight an article that I printed uh, uh, off the printer upstairs. This is an article from foxnews.com. It's an article about a North, North Korean defector who describes life of hell for Christians. Let me say tonight, Christians, we don't know what persecution is. You might know what ridicule is. You don't know what persecution is. I, it's 11 pages of printed paper, small font. Obviously, I can't read the whole thing. But I do want to read just a couple of excerpts for you, if I could. North Korean uh, Kwang Hu I can't say his name. We'll just call him Ch- Chui, is one of the lucky ones, it says. The 55-year-old managed to escape from the work camp where he was sent after being targeted and persecuted by the government for his Christian faith. It says here, this is him speaking, we couldn't raise our voice during a service. We couldn't sing out loud during a worship. That was hard, Choi told Fox News through a translator. Also, we had to hide so that other people could not see us. Despite having to hide his faith in plain sight while living uh, here in this province, Choey was still compelled to bring religion to others when he started an underground church. It says here, there were about nine people, he said. I couldn't do mission work because we had to keep it secret that we had a church. If that information had leaked, we could have faced the death penalty. North Korea is officially an atheist state where, except for a show church in Yongyang, that that tourists are shown, public worship is forbidden. The country, North Korea, is ranked the most oppressive place for Christians in the world and has had the uh, uh, ignominious status for years. Again, I'm just going to read a couple more excerpts from this. It says here, um, and, and he escaped, he was captured Uh, I don't have time to read the whole thing. He was captured uh, because they were suspicious of him. They had no proof. And as he was getting ready to be sent to a, a cruel labor camp where he was going to be killed, he was able to escape and flee into China and then on to the U.S. where he was transported and given a new life. He said that he did not know what an underground church was until he got to the U.S. and had it explained to him. He said this about their church. He said, we had only one Bible. He said his province is very cold. In the winter... We would dig a big hole and store Kamichi there. We sometimes had service there. In the summer, we had services in the mountains or by the river. Then he made this statement. He said this. He said, The life in North Korea is hell. The life in America is heaven. The life in North Korea is hell. The life in America is heaven. I'll leave this article... I'll put it down front here at the end of church if you want to come pick it up and look at it. Persecution. I do believe there will come a day and time where we are more heavily persecuted here for our faith. And Christian, there's going to be a great parting of the sea. I hope you hear me right now. This isn't as dramatic as what I just shared, but this is just as important. Casual Christians are going to get off, and real Christians are going to become white hot. Quite hot. Right now to get people to come to church, I feel like I gotta be I gotta put on a circus act. We've got to have programs for everybody and everything. We've got to give away things. We gotta make the sermons just as elaborate and fancy as possible. To just try to put on some show to get people to come in the door. But a persecuted church doesn't have that problem because real Christians, boy, they're they're dedicated. Peter and John here were facing persecution. Number two, we see preaching. Preaching. Look back with me in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 2. Turn over to Acts chapter 2 with me. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 2. It says there, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came unto them, being grieved that they taught the people, and preached through Jesus the resurrection. Am I in Acts 4? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I meant to say Acts 4. I put down the wrong uh, verse here in my notes. Acts 4, verse 2-4. through 4. Verse 3, And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men, look here, was about five thousand. Five thousand. Now, let me define the word preach here for you. The word preach means to publicly proclaim or declare. Publicly proclaim proclaim or declare. There is a large difference. Let me help you out here tonight. Let me let me give you some vocabulary words and some meanings and let me really try to drill this home to you here tonight. There is a large difference between a pastor and a preacher. You with me here? There's a large difference between a pastor and a Preacher. Now, uh, 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 the Bible gives specific qualifications to those who want a pastor. All right. For example, he must be the husband of one wife. It's hard to be uh, a pastor if you're a woman because I don't know how you are a husband of one wife. I don't know how you pull that off. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, husband of one wife. His house must be in order. Uh, he cannot be a novice or new to Christianity, new to the faith, uh, new to the, the idea of being a pastor. He cannot be given the filthy lucre, or and he cannot be a baller. just a few of the qualifications there right so oftentimes people think well if i just put a few dollars in the offering plate then i am doing my part it is the preacher's job the pastor's job up there to tell others about heaven i pay him to do that for me
1: i pay him to do
0: that for me and my friend if this is your attitude you're greatly mistaken you are greatly mistaken There's only certain people God calls to pastor a church. But Christian, God calls all of us to be preachers. You say, but I'm a woman. Can I be a preacher? Absolutely, you can be a preacher. Absolutely. Can you publicly proclaim God's Word? Now, you don't need to get up in a forum like this and and teach men, but can you stand there with the Word of God on the street and show another man how to go to heaven? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of evidence in the Bible. Philip had daughters that were called prophetesses. And they, uh, they were hailed as women who shared the gospel with the world around them. Now, we all have the same responsibility. Whether you are old or young, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're a man or a woman, happy with life or unhappy with life, it is our job to preach Jesus. So, we see here persecution, persecution. And we see here preaching out of this story. Let's look at number three and let's see power. Power. The word power. Look with me in Acts chapter 4, verse number 7. It says there, And when they had set them, Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, Ye rulers of the people and the elders of Israel. And he's going to go on and address the issue. What a brilliant question These unsaved people ask in verse 7. Sometimes unsaved people can say the most brilliant things accidentally when it comes to the Bible. Notice their question there in verse 7. By what power or what name have ye done this? Now, let me tell you what they were trying to ask. Because that's not what they were trying to ask. What they did is they lobbed Peter a softball and he whacked it out of the park. He hit it a long, long, long ways. He did a great job. Uh, and by the way, uh, Jesus told them the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say when you get in these spots. But the uh, Pharisees, they really set him up easily by this question. What they were trying to ask was this. Uh, who do you think gave you the right to cause all of this commotion? Who do you think gave you the right to cause all this commotion in the city? Peter and John took the question the way it had been asked and answered them. Verse 8 tells us that their power came from the Holy Spirit. The message, Their message to the group of men was about the name of Jesus. It was about the name of Jesus. So we see here power. And i got to say tonight that there are a whole lot of people that are scared out of their mind to even hand a gospel tract to somebody. They are scared to death of saying, let me show you how you can know you're going to heaven. And look, I'm not here to belittle you or to put you down. I understand that's a real fear. But can I tell you tonight that when you get into that spot and you want to share your Faith, maybe the best thing you can do if you haven't been trained is just share your testimony. Tell, tell them what Jesus did for you boy i was I was uh, wandering through life aimlessly, and I came to the place where I realized that I was a sinner, and my sin was wrong before a holy God, and I uh, called on Jesus and trusted what He did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead to save me and My prayer was very simple. I just basically said lord i 'm a sinner, and I need you to come in my life and take my sins away. Tell them your story, and the Holy Spirit will help give you the means to be able to withdo that uh, or rather to do that." stop and wonder how come it is the message of Jesus is so infectious? How come it has worked for so long? Now, everybody in here let's see, am I safe in saying this? Let me look around the room. I think I'm safe in saying this. Everybody in here knows that Santa Claus isn't real, right? Is that news to Bella? She knows. Okay, good. Alright. Um, I don't want her to break down and start crying on me in the middle of church. Okay, very good. Alright. Uh, I had to look around first, make sure. Okay, hopefully I didn't ruin that for anybody. If so, I'm sorry, okay? Uh, listen, it's a cruel world. You're going to find out at some point, All right? Um, is going to cry on me. I didn't even see you sitting over there. I'm sorry. Uh, you don't believe in Santa. Very good. Excellent. Okay, I don't believe in Santa. You don't believe in Santa. You know, I'm not going out on the street and saying... Let me tell you about Santa Claus and getting someone to bow their head and pray to Santa. What kind of success rate would I have if I was trying to do that? That people over the age of twelve? Zero. Zero. So why is it that we're able to be able we are able to convince people that Jesus lived, he died. That's not too hard to believe. And that he rose again from the dead? Now, come on, how many of you have ever seen someone walking around that was dead? I mean, not dead for a couple of minutes and brought back medically. I mean, dead, dead. Three days dead. Why are people able to believe that? And why have people continued to believe it for thousands of years? Because the Holy Spirit is inside. Knocking on their heart's door saying, listen. Listen, it's true. It's true. And maybe tonight the encouragement you need to hear from your pastor is this. You don't need to be that good at giving the message of the truth because you have God from heaven in the form of the Holy Spirit helping you. Don't miss that. That is so important. You give your little feeble presentation of the gospel and you need to do the best you can and you need to pray and ask God to help you. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's in there saying, listen to that, listen to him, listen to her. That's true. Which brings me to number four. That word is persuasion. Persuasion. Look down at verse number nine. We're going to see how they answer. They answer the uh, the scribes and the Sadducees. It says, "If we this day be examined of the good deeds done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole?" This is the lame man laying outside the gate there, in, uh, Solomon's uh, temple. Verse 10, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, I'm sure this was Peter saying this, not John, uh, with his finger in their face, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So, uh, we see here persuasion. He takes and He leads them through a very unorthodox, but yet a very accurate uh, uh, plan of salvation. Their message began over letter A, sin. Sin. Look down with me at verse number 10. Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. Notice He's labeling their specific sin, whom ye crucified. Uh, uh, he called them out over their sin. Now, I was talking to a gentleman lately who lives in another part of the country, and he was telling me that where he lives, uh, the Gospel, he lives in the southeast, the Gospel is more prevalent down there, and so people are a little more inoculated to it because they've heard some version of it before. He said, but I'll tell you how our Gospel presentation is different than a lot of the churches up there. He said, our Gospel presentation is different because... Because uh, a lot of the churches that are going around sharing the truth aren't really sharing the truth. They're starting with, Jesus loves you. Jesus Jesus wants to save you. Well, save them from what? He said, we're starting with, you're a sinner. And your sin is a violation in God's eyes. Your sin is a breaking of God's law. Now listen we got to give the good news of Jesus' salvation. But you can't get someone saved until they understand they're lost. We all in agreement with that? And so, listen, i told tens of thousands of people that they're sinners. Right? Between preaching in churches and um, out sharing my faith. You know, I, I haven't had too many people get offended over that statement because I do it in a way that's careful. But nonetheless, I don't hide it. Last uh, Yesterday, I got to lead a lady to the Lord at her door a uh, very open seeking lady i got to talk to another guy named willie pray for willie will you yeah, i got all the way matthew and i got all the way through the gospel with willie he stood there at and um uh, what street you sent us to pastor dave is that lennox Ave, lennox Ave over in bridgeport and i got all the willie was standing out by his car he's getting ready to go to work do some valet work and i gave him the whole gospel willie got down to the end and i said do you want to receive christ's free gift of salvation by faith and and he, he said, you know, I, I have my beliefs. I'm just not ready to do that yet. He said, I hate to say no to a free gift, but I'm just not sure that's quite how it works yet. Pray for Willie. A little bit later, I got to meet a, another lady uh, named Deidre. And I got to lead Deidre to the Lord. And Deidre bowed her head. But in that prayer, she said in her prayer after me, I'm a sinner and I deserve to go to hell. Deserve to go to hell. She couldn't be saved until she understood that she was lost. Here these disciples, uh, Peter and John, explain to the, the council that uh, that they are sinners. Letter B, we see the Scriptures. The Scriptures. Look down at verse number 11 of Acts chapter 4. It says, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Now, there's probably nothing more infuri- infuriating they could have said to them than this. Because the, the Pharisees knew... The passage in Psalm, Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Now, the direct interpretation of this passage is that the stone, God's son, is going to come into the world. The Pharisees are going to, the the religious crowd is going to reject this stone and this stone is going to become the chief cornerstone of the church. That was what this was explaining. Funny enough that this wasn't the first time the Pharisees heard this quoted. Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, shortly before he was crucified, Jesus saith unto him, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Peter was trying to persuade them about salvation. First he pointed to their sin. Second, he presented to them with, uh, presented them with the scriptures. He gave them a psalm that they knew and said, this is someone you have rejected. You have rejected. Now, let me just may, uh, uh, say one thing here. We'll move on to letter C and then on down uh, through the sermon. We'll get to the last point of the sermon. I am okay with you philosophically explaining to someone the gospel without you using a Bible. I'm okay with that. But you make sure before they pray a sinner's prayer, you have opened the Bible and showed them in God's Word. You see, because what can happen is that Satan could go behind later and say, well, did you actually see that in the Bible? Then how do you know that's how it works? And when you're giving somebody the Gospel, you make sure that you give them enough Scripture that they can hang their hat on that. I'll critique the college I went to real quick. I love my alma mater. I uh, now I support them. There was a window of time where I didn't. Um, Brother Wilkerson's doing a fine job as the pastor there, John Wilkerson. But um, shortly before I arrived, and really the tide turned uh, upon my arrival, not because of me, but just during the era I was there. Shortly before I arrived, there was a lot of easy believism going on. You guys know what easy, easy believism is. That's where you say uh, to someone in an express mode, uh, it's like gospel espresso, right? Uh, you are a sinner. You deserve to go to hell. Jesus died on the cross for you. If you'll pray this prayer, you'll be saved. If you understand that? Let's pray. A, B, C, one two three. pray after me. And Paul said in his writings, we persuade men. You know what that means? If I were to meet David Greer here and he was lost, and I were to meet Mark and he was lost, I need to figure out where David's life circumstances, what they have told him, and I need to take him where he is and lead him to where he ought to be. And then I meet Mark a couple hours later, and Mark has had a different set of life circumstances, a different religious background, a different understanding. I need to meet Mark where he is, and I need to lead him to the same place I led David, but the path to get there might be a little bit different. We need to persuade men persuade men, let her see and we see the really the key of this we see the Son of God. Look at verse 12 of Acts chapter 4. "Now is there salvation in it neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, whereby we must be saved. After you have pointed out sin and presented the scripture, make sure you magnify Jesus in the cross. I taught the Soul Winners Club in a couple of different churches I've been in. I've probably, Brother, Brother Vernon, I've probably been through that material in front of the class 20 times. And I can uh, uh, quote a lot of it in my sleep. But uh, one of the joys I had in that class was helping people put their, their testimony together. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you uh, uh, know your testimony well of how you were saved? I, I hope you all do. Here's what I found people doing. You, you listening right now? This is really important. Here's what I found people doing. They give their testimony. Boy, they would talk up their sin. I was a drug addict. I uh, I lived a life of, of uh, promis- not promiscuity, being promiscuous. I lived a life being promiscuous. Uh, I I was an awful person. And then after they they talked for five minutes about how terrible they are, then they give this little blurb. Well, I got saved. And then after they got saved, it's five more minutes about how wonderful now they are of a person they are now. Here's what I tell folks. Here's what I told folks in my soul winners class. And I'm sure Brother Brown's done the same thing. Talk just a little bit about you. Talk a lot about Jesus. What he did for you. And then talk a little bit about how your life has improved since then. A little bit about you. A lot about Jesus. And then a little bit about you. You know what your testimony ought to be about? About Jesus. About Jesus. You give somebody the gospel, it ought to be about Jesus. You know why? Because he is the one that persuades folks to salvation. Number five, and lastly here, we see the word perception. Look at verse 13 there with me. So, they asked Peter and John a softball question. Peter and John answered the question, verse 13, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, and I have these words under a lot of my Bible, unlearned and ignorant men. (laughs) They were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Letter A, we see they were perceived as dumb. As dumb. Look down there with me. There It says that they were unlearned. Unlearned. You know what that means? They considered them as part of those who had never gotten a formal education. Now, if you go up to my office somewhere, I have my diploma from where I went to Bible college and all the different things I learned there. And I'm thankful for that. I learned a lot of things in Bible college. I probably learned more about mindsets than I did... Uh, actual, you know, theology, that kind of stuff, although I did learn some of that as well. But uh, a lot of good mindsets were given to me at Bible college. And I'm thankful for the diploma that I have. But can I tell you, you don't need a diploma to share Jesus. You just don't need one. Uh, you can share Jesus without a diploma and you can tell people that, uh, that, that there is a way for them to get to heaven without ever having to take a college class. Uh, uh, you, just have to, you just have to get at it. You say, well, Pastor, really, what's the best way to do that? Uh, show up on a Saturday or a Tuesday or if the, those times don't work for you, uh, get hold of me or Pastor Mike and we'll line up another time for you to go out with one of us or with someone in the church and listen, the best way to do it is just go do it. Just go do it. And the world might perceive you as dumb. This morning I was giving some uh, stat about, you know, you know what I was talking about, right? About Noah and, and Methuselah and being 969 years old. And I meant to say 1,000 something and I said 1,900. You know what I look like up here? I look like an idiot. I look dumb. And you all got a good laugh out of that, those of you that were in here. It's okay. Learn to laugh at yourself. And uh, and don't worry about what educated people think about you. You know, I got to say this about educated people: educated people oftentimes will end up in hell because they think they're too smart for the gospel. It's too simple for them. I'm glad it's simple, aren't you? I'm glad it's simple. I'm able to receive it. Letter B, we see they were perceived as dense, as dense or idiots. I have in parentheses. It says there that they were unlearned and ignorant. Ignorant. Is that still a thing today? When I was a junior high or high school, you look at them and say, you're ignorant. Is that still a thing you, 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 you hope is that? People will not do that anymore. Do they still do that? Tell people they're ignorant? And uh, that basically means you're just an idiot, right? Um, people look at the way you live your life and they think that you're ignorant, You give up your day off to go to church? (sighs) Good night, you're ignorant. You put ten (gasps) percent, you give offerings on top of your ten percent to the church, you are ignorant! You sweat and work hard in your service of the Lord on that bus route or in that sunny school class with those children or with those teenagers or you work hard in that sound booth or ushering and you, you go out and do that and, and, and you give yourself to it. Oh, you are so ignorant. You actually uh, are nerdy enough to carry around a gospel track with you and give that to somebody. Do you know how much of a nerd you look like? You are ignorant. Ignorant. You know, let the critics say what they may. We don't do things to impress human beings. Instead, we do this to please the Lord. Please the Lord. You're going to give an account to God one day. Not to the God-hating atheists at the gas station or McDonald's. Or the grocery store. Or on the other side of the cubicle. Letter C and lastly, we see here, they were perceived as Different as different. Look back at verse 13. When they saw the boldness, the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them. And this is my favorite part of the verse, that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Well, this is the sermon right here. This is it, and I'm done. It wasn't a formal education or some weird spoofle dust that caused them to reach thousands of people with the gospel. They were ordinary common men like you and me. Do you know why they were able to, as the Sadducees and Pharisees say, turn the world upside down for Jesus? Because they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. How about you, Christian? I'm done. There's my Bible. It's closed. How about you, Christian? How much time with Jesus are you spending? You know, it's not possible to have a real relationship with Jesus. It's not possible to have a real relationship with Jesus and not share your faith. You hear me? You can't do it. You become passionate about the things that the people you love are passionate about. This is something Jesus is passionate about. If you died for the people of the world and you left the responsibility in the lap of the people that are Christians, wouldn't that be a passion of yours? Peter and John are willing to be arrested for it. They were willing to die for it. But they definitely lived for it. They definitely lived for it. How about you? How about you? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. Peter and John imprisoned. If Jesus tarries and I live to be an old man, I anticipate a day I have handcuffs put on me and I'm locked away for my faith. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope a revival comes to this country and we hit the reset button politically and, and uh, culturally. But I am uh, I'm a realist. I know that may not happen. And I'm willing to be led away for what I believe. But what good is that willingness if I'm not willing to live it? If I'm not willing to live it. Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us. As we look at Christianity in its purest form, here with Peter and John, they stood toe to toe with these fake religious people, and they, they just, they gave them the gospel as well. Lord, later on in that same passage, we see that they were beat for what they believed and they walked out after being beat rejoicing. Rejoicing that they had been beaten. What a testimony. Lord, I pray You would challenge us tonight. May we find their boldness through spending time with You. May we look inwardly and see what our meditating in our heart and our time with You looks like. And may we, may we step that up. May we be challenged to do that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to your feet. The altar's open. Encourage you to come and kneel and maybe it's time to recommit to the Lord. Maybe it's time to tell him that you're ready to do this for real. You're done you're done messing around. How about it, Christian?